0: I'm Lori Wiley and today's scripture is from the book of Proverbs chapter 25 verses 1 through 12. These are more Proverbs of Solomon compiled by the men of Hezekiah king of Judah. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. As the heavens are high and the earth is deep, so the hearts of kings are unsearchable. Remove the dross from the silver, and a silversmith can produce a vessel. Remove wicked officials from the king's presence, and his throne will be established through righteousness. Do not exalt yourself in the king's presence, and do not claim a place among his great men. It is better for him to say to you, Come up here than for him to humiliate you before his nobles. What you have seen with your eyes do not bring hastily to court, for what will you do in the end if your neighbor puts you to shame? If you take your neighbor to court, do not betray another's confidence, or the one who hears it may shame you, and the charge against you will stand. Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a ruly, Ruling rightly given, like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold, is the rebuke of a wise judge to a listening ear. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Um, On March 30th, 1981, a president of the United States um, was felled by a bullet attempted assassination of Ronald Reagan. Whenever that event happened, uh, you may remember there was, there was utter chaos trying to figure out what happened, whether or not the president had actually been shot, whether or not his life was in danger. We later recall now, in retrospect, that the bullet actually missed his heart by less than a quarter of an inch, so it could have been very devastating. Fortunately, his life was spared, but whenever that happens, you know what happens to an inner circle of people. Things go into crisis, management, and sometimes chaos. So following that event, um, General Al Haig was holding a press briefing in the White House. And General Haig said to The Nation, who was riveted by the news at this point, Not to worry, I'm in control here. Um, He was roundly criticized for that statement. I don't know if you remember your history or not. And the reason he was roundly criticized for that statement is because the chain of command, of course, whoever was in control after the president uh, had been shot would have been the vice president, who was then H.W. Bush. Um, And then beyond that would have been the Speaker of the House, and then the Secretary of State, which Al Haig was. But what is often forgotten about that particular statement, and I went back and, and did a quick search on it this week. Al Haig said, don't worry, everything's all right, I'm in charge here in the White House, and I'm in constant contact with the vice president. In other words, to give him his just dues, he was not trying to usurp authority. Like anyone who had years of experience as a leader, in this case a general, when crisis was there, he thought he needed to speak. Well, of course, the administration supported his statement about being in charge, and he later, trying to address it, said, I'm not saying I'm second in command. We're just in the White House and the president's been shot. And the vice president's not here. And I'm taking care of things. Don't worry. It is frequently true when you think of authority or what I will frequently refer to as leadership, it is vested in an individual. It's not as though it's not in other people as well, counselors and Congress and a variety of places in any given government. But routinely, when you think of authority, you think of it as being vested in an individual. Much of the proverbial wisdom, uh, by the way, I should say this if you're planning a sermon series way in advance and you sketch out the topics, right, and you decide what you're gonna do, about three weeks in, you think to yourself, why did I pick that one, right? Um, which is what happened this week. Uh, but undeterred, I, I marched ahead like the music, and I decided I would speak about authority. It's, it's interesting because the notion of authority or leadership in the Proverbs is almost exclusively associated with the king, which would be typical, Correct. In that culture, the king was the final authority. He did have counselors, but it was an entirely different governmental structure than what we know of today. And it's quite likely that most of the advice given on leadership in the Proverbs was given to the king's court. In other words, people who were young men training to be leaders in the king's court. So you can see the applicability to leadership and authority. I want to break down the comments about the topic of authority as seen in the book of Proverbs and throughout Scripture with uh, three major items. Some of you really appreciate three major items. I do, because otherwise I would be scattered. I hope you do. Here's item number one. Living with authority. That is, when you have it. Okay? The second is... Living under authority, that's when you're subject to authority. And third is looking to ultimate authority. As you might expect, I'm referring to God. So first, living with authority. Again, I will use interchangeably the notion of authority with leadership. And I want to say at the outset, under this topic of living with authority good leadership good leadership is proper authority and proper authority vested in an individual is essential so good leadership is absolutely essential one of the proverbs that you've probably heard many times is where there is no vision the people perish that's an older version King James version there's a variety of ways of translating that. I want to use this one um, that I think gets to the heart of the matter. The proverb, which is Proverb eleven fourteen. It says this where there is no wise leadership, the people are in trouble, are in peril. And then it goes on to say, but with many wise counselors, there is safety. I don't know if, when you heard that immediately, you did with it what I did. I broke it down into two categories. The first category has to do with wise leadership, or what you might call decisive leadership. And it seems like the first part of that statement is speaking about a person of authority, or speaking to a person who will be in authority, if they were a young man in the king's court. It seems odd... But in a way, I think we have to constantly remind ourselves in our culture, we have to constantly remind ourselves that an authority figure is not bad, it's not a curse. I'm talking about an individual now. An individual head or authority figure is a blessing. And that is routinely seen throughout the Proverbs and throughout the rest of Scripture. There was a famous slogan that emerged in our country during the American Revolution. And the slogan was, we have no sovereign here. As a matter of fact, when immigrants crossed the Atlantic Ocean and landed in Boston, there was a little sign on the dock that said that. We have no sovereign here. And of course, we understand what that was about basically it was to say we have no king here but there is some sense in which that statement itself could spin out of control it could spin out in, of control in the direction of no authority or no sovereignty at all and if you're in a political dialogue with folks you probably debated this issue there is something inherently important about singular authority and there's something inherently dangerous when personal authority is completely absent it's what we often call anarchy so singular primary authority in the Proverbs is spoken of routinely and I think the application even though we don't live under a monarchy could be applied to today that particular authority figures are necessary for justice and good rule but the second part of that statement I find intriguing as well and the way I'm parsing it you might not but the second part of the statement I see as not referring to an individual person or authority but referring to those who counsel the individual who is in authority I'll read the whole statement again, where there is no wise leadership the people are in trouble, but with many wise counselors, there is safety. Now, why do I parse it that way? Because again, remember the context, probably spoken to young men who could someday be kings or in the king's court. There would be no doubt in their mind that there was an authority figure, namely the king. Nobody would have a question about that in the nation of Israel. There was a king. So there would be authority and leadership. But this proverb is suggesting something that is incredibly important to authority and leadership. It is to say that the one who is in authority must, must listen. To wise counsel. And if he or she does not, they are not a good leader. They are not using authority appropriately. So authority is essential. However, authority is deficient without wise counsel. The abuse of authority we all know of as despotism or raw dictatorship but the king and those who are under him are counseled not to lead that way by the way this advice as you might expect I'll make application beyond kingship (laughs) it's not just for kings it's not just for political authorities in this country or elsewhere it's for all of us why because all of us have some form of authority. All of us do. There's no one here who does not have some form of authority or influence. And I think the advice of the Proverbs, among other things, is this if you're given the responsibility of leadership, lead and do it wisely. If you're given the responsibility of leadership, lead, but don't go it on your own. Because nobody's smart enough or wise enough on their own to lead well. So don't go it alone. It's a fearful thing when any leader refuses to listen to counsel, or especially refuses to listen to dissenting opinions that is very very dangerous the proverbs would support that so the first point under the major point concerning authority and living with it is good leaders are essential the second is this good leaders should not grasp for authority that's one of the biggest failures of leaders to begin with they are driven by authority and so they grasp for it they try to go up the ladder at any cost if you're an astute observer of political history in the United States you could tell right now 12 stories of political leaders who have sold their soul in order to go up the ladder who have in effect renounced in large part, what they said they were committed to in order to have power. It happens all the time. And the Proverbs would certainly counsel us against it. One of the Proverbs that you heard this morning from Proverbs 25, 6 through 7, the beginning of it says, don't put yourself forward in the presence of the king or stand in the place of the great there, there's an assumption here that everybody who's in the king's court is looking for a way up. Everybody who surrounds the king wants to be acknowledged. When you're in the presence of power, you do strange things, or maybe natural things. And the strange natural thing is to put yourself to the top. It doesn't it remind you of the words of Jesus? when he said something very similar, "Don't go to the head of the table. Don't be so foolish as to place yourself there. Go to the back. And then allow the one who's in charge to call you forward in a position of honor. Or the first, they're going to be last, and the last are going to be first. That's what this proverb seems to speak to. There's another one that's more graphic than that, and I think it applies to this subject of not grasping for authority. It says, when you, this is Proverb 23, 1 through 3, When you dine with a ruler, note well what is before you and put a knife to your throat, if you're given to gluttony, do not crave his delicacies, for that food is deceptive. Did he really mean in a literalistic way, you're hungry, but don't overdo it and be a glutton? No, that wasn't really the point. The point was, this is the king's food. You're at the king's table. Not only should you watch your manners, you need to be careful about what that food is there for. For. What it implies, it is, in its own way, a delicacy with poison. It is laid before you as a lavish feast to draw you in. Be careful, he says. Be careful of being drawn in and grasping authority. Good leaders shouldn't do that. There's another theme of good leadership related to kings and others in the Proverbs, and it's this that good leaders are kind to the poor. Good leaders are kind to the poor. How about this proverb from Proverb 29 7? Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. It's pretty direct language. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he'll reward them for what they've done. Doesn't that, too, sound like the wisdom of Jesus? If you've done it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you've done it to me. There's another proverb uh, that speaks to this. The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. That's the NIV. Let me read it to you in the ESV. A righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. He doesn't even get it. If you are in a position of leadership, no matter what it is, to refer to the Epistle of James and you treat somebody better than somebody else because they've got a lot, a plague on your house. If you defer to someone because they can give you something, that's a curse. Jesus routinely admonishes us as the epistle of James does. I want you to look at the people who are there under your care, shall we say. And I want you to treat them all equally because they are created in the image of God. And if you treat them unequally because of their status, you are not representing the kingdom of God. Period. My friends, how many times has the church had to learn that lesson over and over and over again? And you may say to yourself, depending on your political perspective, that our politicians haven't learned that lesson. You know what? Let's leave them alone for a moment and focus on ourselves. Have we? Or to put it another way, Think about last week and who did you give deference to and who did you overlook? Good leaders, according to Proverbs, are also fair to all people. Proverbs 29, verse 4. But just by justice a king builds up the land but he who exacts gifts tears it down or another proverb 15:7 whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household but he who hates bribes will live there are reasons good reasons for laws to be implemented for our ruling authorities that they cannot be paid off and that's also true for us in your position of authority you better not be influenced by this let let me put it more severely If you are influenced by someone of higher status rather than low status, and if you are influenced by what somebody can give you, you are counted among the Proverbs as being in the classification of the wicked. The wicked. The Proverbs don't have Complimentary things to say about the wicked, nor did Jesus. So I think we better be careful. A third thing about good leaders and living under authority is good leaders don't abuse their power. You may remember um, that Rehoboam was the son of Solomon, for whom most of these proverbs, by whom most of these proverbs were written. Solomon probably wrote most of them. Not every one of them, most of them. It's pretty clear that Rehoboam didn't heed the advice of his father. Because the advice of his father was, don't abuse your power. When Rehoboam became king, the people came to him and they said to him, Sir, your father laid heavy burdens upon us taxes and all sorts of things. And we want to know, are you, are you going to do the same? I mean, we're just exhausted. We're like worn out. The palace is great and the temple's great, but we're just, we're just flat worn out. So Rehoboam got together his elders, who were his counselors, and he asked them, what should I do? How should I respond? And They gave him advice, and their advice, you might expect, was consistent with the Proverbs. Don't abuse your power. Don't make it harder. He got together with his younger counselors, the men who had grown up with him, the men who hung out with him when he was a kid, the men who were reaching for power in his shadow, and they said to him, oh, no, here's what you tell them. You tell them, my little finger is bigger than my father's waist. He whipped you with cords, and I'm going to whip you with scorpions. You know about how long the reign of Rehoboam lasted? That's when Israel was split right in two between Israel and Judah. Because Rehoboam was foolish. He took his power and he abused it. He became a despot. So you're not Rehoboam. None of us are kings. I don't think we even have any politicians here. I, if they were here, they probably would leave because I always make snide remarks about politicians. But you do have an area of responsibility in your life. I don't know what it is. But it reminds me of the the words, the wise words of Ephesians chapter 6. Where it says to fathers, fathers, don't exasperate your children. You are the chief authority figure and you know it. Stop using it to abuse. Abuse. Don't change the rules on them all the time. Don't move the goalposts. Don't blow your lid. Don't exasperate your children. Raise them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Be a loving authority figure for them. Can you be both an authority figure and loving you sure can, because you have the ultimate example in God the Father. When I, when I read statements like that, I, and when I experience so many stories from teachers and principals and social workers, my heart grieves for children who don't understand what loving discipline is all about. I grieve for them and, it, and I feel fortunate because I did. Both my mother and my father were disciplinarians and I never questioned their love. Especially when my dad came down on us, the final authority in our home. We never felt abused, we just felt sorry for our sin. We wanted to restore ourselves. Because he followed this pattern. Don't exasperate them. Train them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Second major point. I'm only to the second major point, so hang on. When it's The subject of authority, the second major thing, is living under authority. And the Proverbs are clear about this. Just a quick verse. My son, fear the Lord and the king and do not join with those who do otherwise. And in that context, he's talking about the prosperous wicked, right? The people who make their way because they're wicked. And they actually are prosperous. He says, don't go there. Fear God and the king. Paul picks up this theme in Romans chapter 13 when he says the authorities are established by God. Remarkable statement when the Christians following his death are going to find increased persecutions at the hands of the authorities. But he said authority has been established by God. Why would Paul say such a thing even though he knew the authority was just wall-eyed crazy? He said such a thing because he believed in the sovereignty of God. He believed, as one of the Proverbs said, that the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord. And he directs it like a water course. Does it mean when the king is wrong, there's something right about it to be applauded? Absolutely not. But God says, I'm the king of the universe, and eventually I will bring justice about... And I will control even earthly kings. So, in so far as it is possible, Paul would have said this in so far as it is possible, follow the authorities. Why do I say, in so far as it is possible? Because of point number three where are we to look for ultimate authority? no question about what that answer is gonna be right God On one particular occasion Peter and John were called into the Sanhedrin and they were commanded not to preach in the name of Jesus and their response was legendary they said sorry but we must obey God rather than man There comes a time where you have to answer that way. It's going to have to be a personal decision. And even though you're not a king, probably wise counsel will help. But there comes a point you're just going to have to say, No, I, I can't. I'm sorry. I've got to follow God. There's something else that is clear from the Proverbs, and that is the rulers stand under God's authority. Or to put it another way, if you want to use democratic terms, the rulers should stand under the rule of law and not make it up themselves. There's something else that's clear about not just the Proverbs, but the whole history of the Old Testament. is that the kings ought to be held accountable. They were held accountable. Saul was held accountable by Samuel. David was held accountable by Nathan. And King Ahab and others were held accountable by Elijah. That's a really hard one, you know, for me. Just got to admit it. Because at some point my role is a prophetic one. And part of being prophetic is to cry out against injustice and wickedness. Especially when it oppresses people. I'm not ready to name names, but my friends at the highest level of offices in this land, there's some serious problems, and perhaps some of us need to say so. The other thing about ultimate authority, not only should the king live under it, not only do the prophets hold the king accountable, but there's something else. There's a promise in the Scripture that the kingdom of righteousness is coming. Or Psalm 8510 says that there's a time that the psalmist was longing for even in Israel but we see it as even bigger than Israel now where love and faithfulness or some translations say love and truth will meet together and where righteousness righteousness and peace will kiss one another. Or to put it in pictorial language The lion's going to lay down by the lamb. It's going to happen. So what's the conclusion of the matter for us today? Three things. The Proverbs call us to responsibility. Every one of you has a role of authority. Use it wisely. Second, the Proverbs... Provide parameters. Authority. Governance. Singular and collective. Is there for our own good. The problem is not the world. The problem is me. And I need parameters in my life. I need authority. The third thing is the hopeful word. God gives us a hope for the future. That eventually, the kingdom of God's coming. And in the meantime, we pray that his kingdom will come and his will will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful that you are our King, the only true God and wise King. And we pray that in our positions of leadership or authority, you will help us to follow the pattern of Jesus Christ, that you will call us to be responsible and not neglect our responsibility that you will remind us that there are parameters that we ought to live within because it's in our best interest, and, and that you will remind us that someday, as we live out your derivative authority in this world, someday your direct authority will be over all the earth. We look forward to that day, and we worship you in spirit and in truth. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.